It's not just time to get away. It's time to travel with Anita. From around the world to across Georgia, she covers it all. Now, here's the host of Travel with Anita, Anita Thomas. Hello, 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 and welcome aboard Travel with Anita and Friends. Hi, guys. You know, it's almost St. Patrick's Day, and we have just a few days to finish our planning and preparing for our celebration of green and all things St. Patrick. But before we do, how much do you know about the man, his life, and his influence on the beautiful country of Ireland? We celebrate it with much festivity on March 17th, but do you know the significance of that date? Well, if you answered no to either of these questions, I invited Dr. Tim Campbell, director of the St. Patrick Center in Down Patrick, Ireland, to share some of his knowledge with us so that when we celebrate St. Patrick's, we're on target with his great contributions to Ireland and ultimately the whole world. Now, here's my conversation with Dr. Campbell, and I start off by asking him to tell us exactly who was St. Patrick and what would his day-to-day life have been. Well, Anita, to to understand St. Patrick, you've got to go back almost 1,600 years. We say that the story of Ireland begins with St. Patrick because he's the first person he was able to read and write and to to bring the written language to us. And so I'm the director of the St. Patrick Centre, and and it's in Northern Ireland. It's about two hours north of Dublin and 30 minutes south of Belfast. And it's here we have the story of St. Patrick and we have the grave of St. Patrick. So everybody celebrates St. Patrick's Day on the 17th of March. Most people don't know that that is actually his death date. It's the day that he ascended into heaven to become a saint. So he died here in Downpatrick on the 17th of March and he's buried in the medieval cathedral behind us. But he's got a fascinating story. He tells us that whenever he was 16, he was living in the southern part of Wales, that he was kidnapped Um, from a very prosperous Roman background, brought to Ireland as a slave because the Roman Empire was disintegrating. He was six years as as a slave here in the northern part of Ireland on on a mountain called Slemish. He remembered his father's faith. His father was a cleric. He was, um, he believed after six years that God told him he should run away. So he escaped with some sailors and eventually became a, a cleric himself and, and a bishop. And one day in his dreams, he believes God tells him to return to Ireland, the place of his childhood nightmares. And he returns here to Downpatrick um, in 432 AD. So we're just about to celebrate in a few years the 1600th anniversary of Patrick bringing Christianity to Ireland. That's a potted history. Wow. Yeah, I, well, I must say I didn't realize it was 1600 years. Oh, my gosh. When he was in Ireland, though, tell me a little bit about what his life was like. Well, the early part of his life, you know, there's so many contemporary themes in St. Patrick's life. The idea of slavery and trafficking, of redemption, forgiveness, of of being an immigrant and coming to a country where where people, I mean, he he wasn't Irish. People think St. Patrick's Day, he must be the greatest Irishman, but he wasn't Irish. And to bring Christianity um, at a time when everybody else believed in something else. So all these different themes were happening. So the first part of his life, he was a slave, cold, lonely, isolated, separated from his family um, and living um, in a place that the Romans called Hibernia. That's the ancient name for Ireland, which which means 
is the land of perpetual winter. So it's like a Roman weather forecast that just shows you how cold and rainy. In this part of the world, we say that uh, it rains all year round. Uh, I remember someone from America asking me what it was like. They'd come in the wintertime and they said, what's it like in the summertime? And I said, well, the rain's warmer. <laughs> so it's, it's wet and miserable for, for people from a Roman background. So he, he was a shepherd slave here for six years. And during that time, he would have suffered many hardships. He comes back then again in 432 as a bishop. And he goes from one little, Ireland was a, was a, a a, a patchwork quilt of little kingdoms and he goes from one kingdom to the next bringing christianity being imprisoned many times for his beliefs his mm-hmm. his followers then bail him out and he builds more churches so it, it was a very inhospitable place with no roads the only way to get around was by sea lots of forests and bogs and things that would have impeded the traveler going from one place to the next so a rather inhospitable place ireland back 1600 years ago Wow, yeah, he he really had quite a life, but did so much good as well, which is why he's still so beloved all of these years later. That's right. And, you know, people can relate to him because they read about the story of St. Patrick in his own writings, unlike all of our other saints, like St. David, St. George, um, St. Bridget, St. Columkill. He actually wrote his own message down. So whenever you're write, reading his writings, you're getting inside the mind of the guy. All these other saints, it's somebody else writes the message down about them. So it's, um, you know, it's, 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 you get to know his interior mind and how spiritual and devoted he was. And we learn many, many more things about him because we can actually access his, his own thoughts. We can see them. Are they on display? Yeah. So what we have is the Karen Hines, the famous Irish actor, narrates the story of St. Patrick through our multimedia exhibition. And it ends up in a an auditorium presentation, an IMAX presentation. So you can see the story of St. Patrick here, but it's much more than that. We also have walking tours that go around St. Patrick's Camino pilgrimage. So I have two former adoration sisters, two former nuns who act as guides and take people around all the most important sites locally associated with St. Patrick, including the first church in Ireland, the first healing wells in Ireland, the place where the legend of the snakes was written um, and and the place, of course, where he died. And his grave is here in Down Patrick. We always say you get great value for money. For saints, you have three saints for the price of one. We have St. Patrick, St. Bridget, and St. Column Kill. The apostles of Ireland are buried here. And, and there's an ancient rhyme and it, uh, which they say is called, In down one grave, three saints do fill, Patrick, Bridget, and Column Kill. And they're all buried right beside the St. Patrick Centre. <laughs> oh, that's interesting. The church that, that he is associated with is are there more is there more than one in Ireland or is there one particular one that is more associated with him well there are 800 churches worldwide that bear St Patrick's name there's St Patrick's Cathedral in New York but there's also St Patrick's Cathedral in Melbourne um, and so there's there's lots of cathedrals and churches bear his name in Ireland he brings Christianity and of course Christianity began begins as one church and then it, it splits into reformed churches so uh, we have the the original Roman Catholic faith and then the reformed Episcopalian faith but all of the churches 
do celebrate St. Patrick and St. Patrick's Day and his feast day on the 17th of March. We see it as an opportunity of working in the spirit of St. Patrick and bringing everybody together and being able to, to you know, not it's not just about snakes and shamrocks and green beer for us. Um, you know, if you look at what St. Patrick looks like, most people think he is a guy dressed with a bishop's hat on, dressed in green, holding a shamrock, standing on a snake. And actually, none of those things are true. Uh, the national colour of Ireland is blue. It's not green. Um, he, the, so the president of Ireland's flag is is blue. He's seen holding a shamrock, when, but he never mentioned shamrocks. But we know that shamrock, uh, Irish people used to, Celtic people used to worship nature and they worship things in threes. So you can imagine he might have used a shamrock to encourage them to be able to to think of coming to Christianity. He is always seen standing in a snake. Now, we haven't had snakes in Ireland since the last Ice Age, but we think that Patrick is banishing the pagan gods rather than the Wrigley guys. And we also have um, this idea that Patrick is wearing a big uh, bishop's hat. And of course, he doesn't wear a bishop's hat because that is uh, something that comes in a medieval time. So he really looks quite different than, than what many people think he would have looked like. Mm. Yeah, yeah. We we tend to do that with history. We tend to assign things to it that may not have actually been the case. <laughs> Let's stop for a break here, but when we come back, we're going to talk about how St. Patrick's Day is celebrated and how it may be different in Ireland. Back in a moment, here on Travel with Anita and Friends. I've met some folks who say that I'm a travel with Anita and friends. Now, St. Patrick's Day is right around the corner, and we celebrate it in grand style here in the United States. But how is St. Patrick's Day celebrated in Ireland? Well, my guest, Tim Campbell, who is the director of the St. Patrick's Center in Downpatrick, Ireland, tells us all about the history of St. Patrick's Day and how it has changed throughout the years. Let's jump back in with my conversation with Dr. Campbell. St. Patrick's Day is an, is an American creation. It's not something that we created here. 1737 was the first St. Patrick's Day parade in, in America. It was in Boston. 1752, then you've got it in, in New York. We couldn't have made up all that razzmatazz. That's something that had to come from your part of the world and be brought here. So we now celebrate it rather like you have celebrated it for hundreds of years. But for us, it was a day, it was a holy day, a day whenever you went to you went to Mass and you, you might have had a very gentle parade or, 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 or it would have been a family day, really, not a day for celebration. The pubs were actually closed here until very, very recently. You couldn't get a drink. So we couldn't have drowned the shamrock back in those days. Green has been a very ancient, an ancient symbol in Ireland. Um, but in medieval times, the colour of St. Patrick was blue. But for Irish people, like 40 Shades of Green is, is a reasonably recent song. It's, it's like wallpaper for us. We see it all the time. So we don't need to be thinking about, you know, it's not unusual for us to see 
much, 40 shades of green. The Dublin Day Parade is the biggest one on the island of Ireland, probably the biggest one in Europe. And it starts off as a, as a sort of a, a holy day. Then it becomes a, a real celebration over one day. And then it's, it's now become a five-day festival. So we really have started to supersize St. Patrick over here as well. <laughs> So tell, tell me about this five-day celebration and what, what, what all takes place. Strangely enough, Anita, uh, there would be all sorts of things happening. There would be, um, it, it's rather rather like a festival where there would be a main uh, parade on the day, which is the, is the huge day. But then there would be theatre, there would be arts celebrations, there would be all sorts of uh, things happening in pubs and street theatre. At the St. Patrick's Centre here, we have created a virtual St. Patrick's Day. And I think a lot of the parades are going to do that this year. New York Parade, I know, is going to do that. Um, And I know that the Toronto Parade is going to do it. And the Dublin Parade has got a virtual St. Patrick's Day. And we're actually creating content for that so that you'll be able to visit the St. Patrick's Centre and you'll be able to see our new dinner and dance show, which we're creating here uh, online on St. Patrick's Day. It's, It's on twice on St. Patrick's Day. So perhaps you're... Your listeners may want to tune into that at stpatrickcenter.com. What's the website again? How we can see it? We are www.stpatrickcenter.com. And, and again, I think people, whenever they're coming to Ireland, the idea of slocation, the idea of getting into the fresh air and smaller groups and staying longer in particular places and having a deeper dive into the history and the culture is going to be something which is going to become much more important. Rather than just get on a bus and drive in to Ireland in five days, I think uh, it's going to open up a whole new avenue of things that you can do and have a deeper experience over a slower, in a slower period, uh, longer time. Your coastline would just make for a fantastic uh, slow vacation, just taking your time and enjoying the scenery, enjoying great food and checking out, you know, just all of the different sites and things would be a fantastic slow vacation. We were so popular doing our walking or Camino St. Patrick's Way last year. We have now included a Camino and canoe. So you can canoe past some of these ancient sites. And we've got a coastal way. Because a lot of our visitors come from the Midwest and they're not familiar with the ocean. And we've got such dramatic ocean scenery. Uh, so it's absolutely beautiful. Tell me a little bit so the listeners can hear this as well. We're coming to Ireland. We want to come for a visit. What do we need to know in order to come and really learn more about St. Patrick and uh, visit your center there and help, you know, just really have the full experience. Well, I, I think you got you got to think that St. Patrick can, can, as well as being a major, we're just about to, to celebrate St. Patrick's Day, it's a major annual festival, but it can also be an interesting destination. He can be a destination as well as an event. So whenever you're coming to Ireland, there's obviously, there's, I mean, many places in Ireland are, are associated with St. Patrick, but the key to the whole thing um, because he's been around for 1600 years, places have been named after him. But the key to the whole thing, the, the, the heart of it is where St. Patrick arrived, where he started to bring Christianity and where he continues to be because he's buried here. So I think the first thing that I would say is, you know, where, whereas you can visit um, St. Patrick's Cathedral in Dublin, you can visit Cashel, which is a connection with St. Patrick. It's hard to find it a monument in Ireland that has no connection with St. Patrick. But to get the real experience, I think you need to head north. You need to get out of the airport, take a left. In two hours, you can be in St. Patrick's country, as we call it here, um, in the beautiful mountains of Mourne. And the St. Patrick's Centre itself, uh, yes, I would, I would suggest that 
if you want to do some of the experiences, so you can come and you can drop in at any stage and take a look around the exhibition. Fantastic exhibition with all of the different stories of St. Patrick as you as you go around um, the, 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 the exhibition with the IMAX at the end as a helicopter ride to all of the different places in Ireland associated with Patrick. But I would suggest that maybe you spend a day or two in, in the greater Belfast area and in, in the Downpatrick area. There's lo- lovely hotels in places like Newcastle, where you've got the mountains sweeping all the way down to the sea. And you could get involved with some of our Camino walks. So our Camino walks, you can do a morning or an afternoon or both. And we have walks to suit everyone from six miles in the morning to 11 miles in an afternoon. Uh, we've got coastal walk. We have the, the canoe and Camino walk if you want to do, do a little bit on water. It's all scheduled in our website under experiences. I would also suggest that there is a part of it that goes through the mountains of Morn, which is just absolutely idyllic and beautiful. Um, so I would uh, I would suggest that too. And a lot of these sites, I mean, you're going around, you go to Enshabi, the, 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 the place where the legend of the snakes was written. That's one of the first places that you, that you go to, you, you go to Saul Church, the first church in Ireland built in 432 AD, where Patrick died in that little space, no bigger than your garage, on, on the 17th of March. One of these famous thin places where heaven and earth are close together. Uh, we facilitate with lunch. And, you know, for those of who want to go out in the afternoons, walks, we go to Sleeve Patrick, which is the tallest statue of St. Patrick in the world. Uh, we go down the Keel Way, which is the Way of Tranquility, and it's absolutely stunning, completely off-road, that bit. And then we go to the, the oldest bathhouses in Ireland, um, at Strool Wells, Strool meaning sweet stream. And then, of course, we end up back in Downpatrick at the cathedral, medieval cathedral, to see St. Patrick's grave. And you can't come to Ireland without coming to see St. Patrick, put your hand on the gravestone. This has been a tradition for travellers for, for centuries, is to come to pay their respects. Then after that, we go down and have a, a cup of coffee. And some people stay over or have a dinner. I mean, you can book all these things in a place called Denver's, which is the uh, one of the oldest coaching inns in Ireland, originally built. Well, I mean, you're staying in a place or having lunch and coffee in a place which is uh, built in 1642, Denver's of Denver, Colorado, same family. So there's all these huge historical connections. The other thing about it is whenever you're walking, and I didn't really get this until I started to do it myself, is that you start to unwind, you can spend time by yourself, you can be very sociable and, and, and walk with people and talk to people. But over four, five, six hours, you're walking, you're meeting the guide, and the guides have really interesting stories. I mean, the main guides are both former Adoration Sisters before, before that, one of them was the BBC political correspondent in Northern Ireland. Knew everybody, wrote, wrote a book about the peace process. And they're just wonderful, joyful people that you want to be in their company. And by the time you finished it, you really do feel that you have achieved something. I think one of the things that you learn most about is yourself. If you can get onto some sort of a travel experience where, yes, you're, you're seeing beautiful sights, you're, you're learning a bit of history, that's all very important. But ultimately, it's about the, their own interior and what it means to them. And I think a lot of people that have done the walks with us, they keep coming back because of the company and because it is beneficial to their mental health and they're discovering something about themselves. Amazing information from Dr. Campbell. When we come back, we'll continue with St. Patrick's Day with Chef Terry McCoy. Back in a moment here on Travel with Anita and Friends. If you ever go across the sea to Ireland, 
back to Travel with Anita and Friends. Now, in the last two segments, we have talked about St. Patrick. With St. Patrick's Day coming up, it's a great topic to learn more about the man and about his life as he traveled around Ireland spreading the gospel. But now in this segment, we're going to switch over a bit and we're going to talk about food. And I have brought on acclaimed chef who's also the author of a new cookbook, St. Patrick's Plate. And that would be Chef Terry McCoy. And when you think about Chef Terry McCoy, you could say that his life would be one that is a life well lived. He has been a chef for more than 50 years, and he's been lucky enough to travel the world and earn a living cooking, which is his passion. Now, along the way, Terry has also represented Ireland in international cooking competitions, and he has appeared in several cooking programs as well. The Pot of Luck and Ready, Set, Cook. Now, we have him on today, though, to talk about his recent book, St. Patrick's Plate, where he really explores the 5th century as St. Patrick and his followers were traveling around Ireland spreading the gospel. They were also sharing the type of food that they like to eat, which was very, very healthy. And you'll see as we talk with uh, Terry that he talks about how that healthy, healthy diet is still important today, all of these years later. So let's jump into my conversation with the, with the chef, where I first asked him to tell me what drew him to want to really learn more about St. Patrick and the recipes and the foods that he ate. So he tells us a little bit about that as we get started. Well, when I came to live in Skerries in the early 70s, uh, I walked uh, along the seashore and I could see the island, which we knew as Church Island or St. Patrick's Island. And as a chef, I was always curious in in like before the year 500, what he could have eaten or what would have sustained him. And then how would he have kept his high energy levels up to travel throughout Ireland, converting everybody to Christianity? And uh, so I became curious about this and I kind of investigated like he must have eaten seaweeds various seaweeds that would have been edible. He would have had little periwinkles, which are sea snails. He would have had oysters and mussels and cockles and at the famous song where Molly Malone goes. So he would have had to forage. So his diet would have been very, very healthy mm. and probably more healthy than our diet is today because uh, we've now had to preserve things and manufacture food and right. prolong and the shelf life, improve food, our healthy diet. So I was curious about the very healthy diet that Patrick would have had because he lived to my age, 75, by all by reputation. Mm. So he's kind of influenced me in, in that way, but not, not, not necessarily, you know, as a complete way of life, but, but very definitely an influence. And on the healthy way he would have lived. And I was very curious about how he how he could have created so much energy to go from barony to barony, converting people and meeting the various chiefs and chieftains. So that's it. That was that started the journey. <laughs> yes, and you've written a uh, cookbook, right? St. Yes. St. Patrick's Plate. Yes. Uh, St. Patrick's Plate I hold. And I see you're holding a plate. So what what's on that plate that you're holding? On that plate is a little pastry dish, which we call uh, St. Patrick's Purse. And uh, I created it when I was influenced by my 
the stories of St. Patrick. So when he came across the Irish Sea, he, he landed on the island, as I mentioned earlier, called Church Island or Patrick's Island. And he had with them a little goat so he could milk the goat and he had goat's cheese and that kind of stuff. So, so that purse is some filler pastry and it's wrapped around uh, uh, some goat's cheese and just baked in the oven. And it's a very refreshing, uh, lovely, appetizing starter. So I kind of felt that Patrick would have had a leather purse with whatever coins or trinkets he had with them to trade would have been a purse. So I kind of created that as Patrick's purse, we call it in there. And the recipe's in the book to get the book as much as I can, uh, because there's over 60 different recipes there. Most of them don't take any longer than 60 minutes to to, to do. Uh, so they're very quick to produce. A lot of them even uh, 30 minutes will, will do it. And uh, they range from desserts to starters to soups. So there's something in it for everybody. And they're very wholesome, as I said, and very, very good for you. And uh, they don't contain any preservatives at all. Because there's recipes for bread, soup and desserts. So something for the most accomplished cook to increase their repertoire. And for the beginning cook, if you're in a student apartment, start properly and learn about food. So I'd recommend it to you. It's my way of influencing future generations and hope that I can leave something behind worthwhile. <laughs> well, it, it definitely sounds like it uh, has a little something for everyone. How easy, uh, though, Chef Cherry, is it to find those ingredients that, that, that he would have sort of collected from the wild and things like that. But yes. it's still easy to find things in what you would call find them in the wild. Uh, well, they, the strange thing is that when we were researching, when I was researching this book, we went back to some very, very early publications and we found a book uh, that was uh, created in Roman times up near Hadrian's Wall in the UK. It was a list from the centurions back to their base saying, we'd like the following supplies. And when we translated the supplies into English, very much like a shopping list that you would go for now up to your local supermarket. So the ingredients are not that different today. And in the book, like all the ingredients are listed and there's equivalents to them there. But now what about things like beer and wine? Did he make those things as well? Well, you see, in in the time he, he was around uh, water would have been, and pure water would have been a very, very valuable commodity. So they actually could purify water by making beer. So uh, they would have collected the white oak, burnished them a bit, you know, by trying to dry them and roast them. So that probably was the precursor to Guinness, which is the very famous black beer, because that's how you make it, by roasting or burnishing the oak. But in Ireland, we, you know, in, on the continent and that, we have grape. And in America, you have grape. But in Ireland, we have wild barley, our oak. So we make our brown bread from it, but he would have made a beer from it as well. So, and uh, that would have been widely, widely available in Ireland. But if you can imagine him wandering from one barony to the other and he probably said that, that we were very hospitable so the chief probably said you're going to have dinner with me tonight so they were very simple in those days they heated up a load of rocks and then they threw these into a pit with the leg of an animal that they had slaughtered and they would cover it with seaweed and 
weed and that, and it would gently boil and cook. So they would have handed that to Patrick then, and he wouldn't have been too impressed, I can imagine. And he said, if you don't mind, tomorrow night I'll do the cooks. And he knew all about uh, making pasta and, and various things and garlic and and wine and different stuff. So he would have made a much more sophisticated meal. So the chief and his followers would have said, my goodness, this fellow eats very well. What did you say you were peddling? Christianity. I'll become a Christian. <laughs> Around the table, like it's a way, good way to influence people. Well, so, that, that's that's still the case today, which I'm sure you know. Yes, that, yes. That, yeah, uh, the way to, way to a man's heart is through his stomach, they say. Exactly, exactly. And the other thing, too, is that, you know, when you talk about cultural differences, uh, food is one of the ways that we can bring each other together and understand yes. more about our culture and our traditions. And we usually find out that there are more similarities than there are differences uh, when we sit down for a yes. meal. Now we have to stop here, take a break, but when we come back, we'll continue to talk about St. Patrick and his influence on the food culture in Ireland. So sit tight, we'll be back in a few minutes here on Travel with Anita and Friends. travel with Anita and friends. Now we're going to continue my conversation where we're talking about St. Patrick's Day, but we're also talking about the man, about St. Patrick and his influence in Ireland, in particular with the food. Now I'll start this segment by asking a question of Dr. Campbell, who is the director of the St. Patrick's Center, to tell me a little bit about the influence that St. Patrick had on the food in Ireland. Would you say also too that St. Patrick's influence also had a lot to do with um, with with the food. I know it was religion and things like that, but do, do you think he also brought some influence with that? Yeah, I think well, the Roman Empire was 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 right surrounded Ireland. Ireland was the only part of of Europe which didn't become part of the Roman Empire. The the Irish tended to keep medicines aside, so it was a huge medicinal population of druids who had all sorts of remedies and cures uh, and and their own spiritual belief. But the Romans provided a lot of the raw material. I mean, whenever you look at what during St. Patrick's time, he escaped from Ireland with some sailors. Now, they were exporting pelts and furs and hides, but they were importing food. They were importing wine and beer and stuff that they couldn't make themselves. So there was obviously a big culinary um, you know, and bringing in salt, which we don't have in Ireland. You know, lots of things were in, anything that was imported from Europe in Patrick's time to season food. Uh, and 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 to add to the culinary diet um, came in um, through th- through the Roman influence. So you know, whenever Terry said to me that he was he was creating this book about Saint Patrick, and was, he, I thought, well, really? I mean, how much can you really write about that? But it turns out it's amazing. Between the seafood, I mean, incredible seafood here in Ireland, um, and and you can even eat the seaweed. You know, so there's 
there, there's beautiful there's beautiful um, seashore recipes, and then there's the, the whole Roman influence as well uh, that he's been able to bring to this. So it, it, it's a surprising amount. It's surprisingly cosmopolitan. Now there's some things that are obviously not there. Potatoes because they they came back with with um, the English in the, in the 1500s from South America. So we, we didn't have potatoes. Potatoes now is the real staple diet of what we do. You rarely have something to eat in Ireland without a potato. But of course, back in Patrick's day, there were no potatoes. So they were, they were eating other things. Now, those are some fascinating tips. But let's jump back into my conversation now with Chef Terry McCoy. And he will tell us even some recipes that we can make for St. Patty's Day. Now, Chef Terry, I want to switch up a little bit here because I understand you have a show that you're involved in, uh, the St. Patrick Show. So tell me a little bit about that. When we met with Dr. Tim, we were kind of taken by uh, the idea. There was a very famous uh, show uh, down in Bunratty in Clare. So when you landed at Shannon Airport, very close to you there, there was a very big uh, Norman Keep and they very creatively created a banquet there and they had a meal, some theatrical things, singing and dancing and explaining. So they had a king for the night and that. So uh, the idea came to us that possibly they would take three dishes from my book that would have been in Patrick's time and be able to put on a show explaining about the life and times uh, of St. Patrick and that when people come back and visit Ireland again, they would go to the Down Patrick area where Patrick is buried in County Down. There's a big rock over him in the churchyard, Church of Ireland churchyard in Down Patrick. But that they have a lovely visitor centre there that was created uh, in the time of the peace process when uh, all the parties came together to look at Ireland more positively and there was less uh, sectarianism in that. So it would be wonderful if we could get American people to come back to Ireland and visit Don Patrick and learn about his times and his simple gospel. Now, Chef, I want to ask you this. What would be a good meal for us to prepare for St. Patrick's Day as a as a meal to celebrate uh, the holiday, but also to celebrate him? I, I think there's a lovely um, dish. It's a, a starter. It's a, a salmon tartare. So it uses both um, a fresh salmon and wild salmon. Now, why it uses fresh salmon is just north of here is the River Boyne, the famous river. And... There was always salmon in that river. You just get some sa- fresh salmon, a couple of slices of that, and a couple of slices of smoked salmon. Dice them up fairly small with some vegetables like celery, very finely chopped up, some onions and tomatoes and a little garlic, and mix all that together with mo- mozzarella cheese. Set it in the fridge 24 hours before St. Patrick's Day or whenever you're going to eat it, and then just put it on some salad leaves. And it's really refreshing and very good. And it's absolutely excellent. But if you are into soups, then there's a lovely recipe in it for chowder, kind of an Irish-based chowder. I think most of the ingredients you'd be able to get in the fishmonger now in any supermarket there. So the recipe is there for that. And it's a very quick soup. It will only take you about 20 minutes to make it. Just, But the only thing is, I would say, is don't put in the mussels or the cockles or the fish until the last minute cook off all the vegetables first uh, because the greatest crime against fish is to overcook it. Yeah. So just yeah. add it in until the shells open. 
the muscles will open and the cockles will open. And you're right there, then. That's, that's a very good soup for St. Patrick's Day. And then I always uh, love uh, fish myself. So there's a very nice recipe in it for a fish we called hake. But that mightn't be available. So grouper, I know, is widely available in America and it will yep. convert very easily to that. And I use uh, horseradish. There's some meat dishes in it as well. So uh, it, 60 different recipes. So there's dessert. Uh, chef, can we get the book here in the States, like at Amazon? I self-published it. So um, so we decided we just we have our own website www.stpatricksplate.com. Now that's pretty easy, uh, and you'll find it there. And we'll ship it all over the world. The prices are all there, so there's no problem. We'll we'll get it to you. Might take a little while, about two weeks, but we'll get it to you. And you can pay for it online. I think you know to get in at a young age and learn to cook. And some of them, these dishes are very simple and easy to do. And one pot wonders because Patrick didn't have a whole lot of uh, washing up facilities, so he did, he didn't he didn't have 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 to uh, a lot of pots. The recipe book is a very full recipe book with 50, 50 different easy to read recipes, and the ingredients are all kind of simple and easy to get, and they're not long life or require kind of you know because really what i was very worried about at the time was how much uh, preservatives were being used in foods now and if you think about it like saltpeter was the preservative that when the british navy were ruling the world they used to uh, store stuff by using bacon and pig meat and that and store it kind of in in saltpeter but saltpeter is actually gunpowder. So if you sat too near the fire and you're eating some of this stuff, you might lose your teeth. No. <laughs> In a big bang. Try to keep away from preservatives or, long, uh, or e-numbers and that kind of thing. And let's get back to the future, as I said earlier. That would be my main message. And I want to wish everybody in America a very happy St. Patrick's Day. It's, it's one of the great exports we have from Ireland. And there's very few nations have such a, a wonderful uh, national day that the whole world rejoices in. And I rejoice with you. So much great information and inspiration to start planning your St. Patrick's Day. I know I'm inspired not only for the information about the man, so much information that I didn't know, but also those great recipes from Chef McCoy. I encourage you to check out all of the websites that have been mentioned in the show today. For the St. Patrick's Center, that is St. Patrick's Center dot com. And Center is spelled C-E-N-T-R-E. And for the cookbook by Chef McCoy, check out the website, stpatricksplate.com. Now, if you'd like to start planning that great trip to Ireland, check out the website for Ireland Tourism at ireland.com. And go to my website, travelwithanita.com, to see the full recipe for that soup that he mentioned. Sounds really good to me. And also how you can watch the St. Patrick's show that we reference. I have the websites on my website. So go to travelwithanita.com to check out all of this. I have all the websites there. Thank you for listening today and joining us on this lead up to St. Patrick's Day. 
Get your green ready so you can represent in full representation how we do here in the U.S. But we're not done with Ireland yet, so join me in two weeks where I have a long conversation about Waterford Crystal, which is definitely a great tradition there in Ireland. So thanks for joining me. See you in two weeks here on Travel with Anita and Friends. Bye-bye.